This episode is sponsored in part by the Christian Standard Bible. So you could say, like we like to say, or at least that I like to say, we are the official podcast of the Word of God. We love the CSB for its blend of readability and accuracy and encourage you to check out csbible.com after the show. But for now, let's hear that choo-choo. You know what time it is, time for another train wreck. Welcome to Not Another Baptist Podcast, a weekly podcast about what two pastors in New Mexico are learning in the trenches of church revitalization. I'm Matt Hensley, the pastor of Mayhill Baptist and managing editor for Lifeway Pastors. And I am Kyle Bierman, the pastor of First Baptist Alamogordo and director of Replanner Development for the North American Mission Board. And we bring a combined 31 years of ministry experience to the table, and we still mess up time and time again. This episode is sponsored by none other than Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, the crown jewel of Southern Baptist seminaries. We encourage you to visit swibbits.edu after the show to learn more about a historical seminary standing firmly on the Word of God, developing passionate ambassadors of Jesus through the Great Commission, and cooperating faithfully with Baptists across the globe. Yep, and these are exciting times for Southwestern. And you know, it's been said that the sun never sets on Southwestern. So let's just say that the sun never sets on that podcast. All righty. Well, on that note, we have a special treat for you today. And that is that we are welcoming Dean and Sarah to the show to talk about his latest book, Unsaved Christian. Uh, so Dean, welcome to the show. And let's start with who you are, what you do, and just a little bit about your family. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate you being willing to have me come on and talk about the book. Um, I'm pastoring in my hometown, Tallahassee, Florida, like where I grew up. I started a church, a city church from scratch with about 20 friends in my parents' living room. And that was over 11 years ago. And now it's just a multi-generational church that's making disciples, hopefully, and uh, and, and reaching our, our city and beyond. So we're really grateful. Kind of really neat story what the Lord's done uh, through 20 folks in the living room over 11 years ago. My wife and I, her name's Chrissy. We've been married for over 15 years and have three kids, a 12-year-old son named Tommy, a 8-year-old son named Ty, and a four-year-old little girl named Sally Ashland. So a family of five and all is well. Great. As see, Kyle has two, a uh, daughter and a son. I've got four daughters, so you can be uh, praying for me uh, with that. But uh, anyway, let's talk a little bit about background. I know I come from a rather culturally Christian household. Going to church was just what we did. Uh, and, you know, certainly on Sunday, but I think my parents didn't want to spend a whole lot of time with me, so they also sent me on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Uh, but uh, the the why really didn't come until later in life. While I'm grateful for the upbringing that I had, uh, it, it wasn't for if it wasn't for many mentors, I would have largely been inoculated to the gospel. So, what was your experience like having grown up culturally Christian? How did Christ seek and find you there? Well, I was raised in a household that was very moral and great church-going people. Unless we were sick or out of town, uh, then we were at church every Sunday. The church we grew up in didn't really have the midweek kind of emphasis, but we, I was there every Sunday morning. And then as I became a teenager, I was there on Sunday nights for our youth ministry. I was raised mainline Protestant. If you'd asked me if I believed in God, I would have like laughed at you and said, of course I do. Who doesn't? See, I would have thought that was strange. I'd have been offended if you suggested otherwise. We would say a kind of generic prayer uh, before dinner as a family and kind of hold hands to the table and pray. But the truth is my faith and my Christianity, as I called it, had absolutely no 
really significance concerning the names of Christ. I like to say now, and it's tragic, but the cross and resurrection could have not existed, and it wouldn't have changed my faith at all. I would have claimed I was a Christian, and by that I just meant I wasn't an atheist and I wasn't Jewish. That's what I meant by that. And I'm convinced that that's the most common religion in America today, but it doesn't show up on a survey. It shows up as Christian. And by that, people just mean, again, they're not atheists, they're not Jewish, they're not Muslim, they're not Buddhist, they're not agnostics. So I went to an FCA retreat when I was 13 years old, got invited by some friends, fellowship of Christian athletes. Uh, I was an athlete for a long time, and it sounded like a good thing because I was a Christian in my own eyes, and it was sports. So what a great weekend for me. Uh, So I went away to this retreat, and they had worship services uh, in between all of our athletic events where they'd have a a guest speaker. Uh, He just gave a, a classic gospel presentation, as I know it today, and called on people that have never trusted themselves in Christ and repented of their sins and believed the good news of the gospel, and he explained what the gospel was uh, to, to become Christians that day and give their life to Jesus. And I knew that I had never actually been converted. I had never actually believed the gospel before. And I joke, it's not funny, but I, I joke about it a little bit, that I'm the first person to ever come to Christ and be mad about it. <laughs> and, 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 and I had joy, don't get me wrong, but by that I mean truly going through my mind was how have I been in church every single Sunday and no one's ever told me this before. You know, I was told to be a good person. I was told to have faith, but there's no definition around it. You know, I was told to have hope, uh, be courageous like David and, you know, and, and, and th- those type of things. But I never had anyone actually tell me I needed a savior. I could have told you Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and I even knew he died on a cross. I mean, that, that wasn't like that was never mentioned at our church. But the fact that he died, like, in my place for me, completely irrelevant. So it all was just this cultural thing. I was a Christian by culture and not by conviction. And that day I realized it, and I went forward during an altar call and repented of my sins and trusted in Christ and have tried to follow him ever since. So what was the reaction in your family when, when you came back or like, Hey, I got saved this, this weekend. They, they saw it as just being really extreme. Okay. I'm convinced that's the biggest difference in a cultural Christian's mind between themselves and an actual like Jesus following gospel believing Christian is they don't think that they, that, that they're not Christians. They just think you're really into it. So they might say something like, wow, you know, Kyle's just really into church. They'll see it's something like that more than it has anything to do with Christ. So I think they just thought I was extreme and maybe got around some people who are really zealous and just kind of wanted me to tone it down a little bit. Uh, but at the same time, it was kind of a good for you. That's great. But we go to church, too, and we're already Christians. What are you talking about? Like, so kind of some confusion, a little bit of damage control to make sure that we all still understood that we were Christians. And also just that kind of thought that I just did something kind of extreme. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so Matt and I have both uh, spent many years in the Bible Belt um, in in God's country of Texas before, uh, as we as we both joke, we became foreign missionaries to New Mexico. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I spent several years in Texas. Matt uh, split, spent years in Texas as well as some time in Arkansas. Uh, so in your experience, what are some specific faith challenges that come with worshiping and ministering in the Bible Belt? Well, I, I think there's two main things. One is being confused yourself as a pastor or a local missionary that you're in a place where everybody's already a Christian or mm-hmm. most of the people are Christians. So we have to make sure that we don't get confused between a lack of hostility towards the gospel and actual gospel belief. Sure, in the Bible, there's not much hostility towards the gospel. Uh, and the reason is the second thing. What makes it hard is everybody thinks they're a Christian. So it's really hard to reach people who think they're fine. Uh, my, my friend, uh, pastors on the West Coast uh, in California, Northern California, 
And we had a conversation. Actually, my book kind of begins with this conversation. It was really life-shaping for me, where I kind of felt what I call missionally insecure, uh, that I was going back to Tallahassee, which is only about 10 miles from the Georgia line, and he was going to Northern California. And missional insecure is like when you're in high school and your, your friends are all going to, to work in an orphanage in Haiti and you're going to the beach. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you kind of feel missionally insecure for a minute. Well, that's how I felt. Like he was the one that was really doing it and I was settling. And he corrected me when I was kind of, you know, kind of giving my little, you know, feel bad for myself story to him, my kind of self-sympathy moment. And he said, where well, I'm going to Northern California, there's no confusion about who's a Christian and who's not. He says, where you're going, there's massive confusion. You actually have no starting point for a gospel conversation because everybody already thinks they're a Christian. He said, you almost have to get someone lost before they can become saved. And that's a hard thing to do because you know how offensive it is to suggest to somebody who thinks they're a Christian that they're not? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty offensive conversation. Uh, the people he was talking about where he lives, they know they're not Christians. They're not offended by the suggestion that they're not Christians. They might be offended by the fact that you think they are Christians. <laughs> uh, and, but uh, where, where I am, again, almost... The majority, majority of the population believes themselves to be Christians, but if you ask them why, their answer has to do with a generic theism. They just kind of believe in God. Who is this God? They don't want to talk about that. They're not even really sure. But this idea of God, kind of higher power, big guy in the sky type of idea, uh, they think they're really good people, and they think they're going to heaven when they die. Now, what's the basis for good? They have no idea. What is heaven? Who's in charge there? How does it work? How do you get there? You get there by being a good person. That, that, that's what they think. So they're far from atheists. They'd be offended by the fact that you thought they were. But they're not believers in actual Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the Bible either. That makes things pretty complicated. Yeah, and uh, Kyle, Kyle and I have talked about that a lot. You know, here in, in New Mexico, uh, where I'm at, it's a little different. Kyle, uh, maybe a little more progressive there in Alamogordo. We've got a large contingent of the uh, Texans that want to get out of 100 degrees. And uh, so they come up to the mountains where the high might be 75 or, or 80. Uh, but you start talking to some of the locals here. It is very clear that there's a, a strong apathy towards Christianity. They're not offended by you talking about it, uh, but they most certainly would not claim the name of Christ in any shape or form. And uh, and then I've got some of the cultural folks that have kind of come from Texas. And, and so that's what kind of wanted to lead into another question that my church has that large Texan contingent. We, we joke about it often of, you know, part of their entrance exam into the church is to uh, except Whataburger as the uh, greatest cheeseburger on the planet. Uh, but many are going to retire here. And so those that are coming from that, where everybody surrounded them were, were good people, they might even be Christians. You know, let's, let's give that for a second. But how do they need to uh, be able to relate to, understand, and share the gospel with maybe our local New Mexican-born and bred neighbors? Well, one, I, I'm fully on board with the idea of Whataburger having the best cheeseburger. Amen. So, hey, I'm totally good with that. Hey, Amen. I, I went to In-N-Out Burger one time, and I walked out and said, oh, five guys. So it was all, it was all <laughs> the same. So, so, so go Whataburger all day long. Well, in, in answering that question first, I think it's really a mistake to think that cultural Christianity is a Bible Belt issue. Because across America, with few exceptions, the majority of the people— in almost every city, the highest ranking religion on a poll or a survey is Christianity. Of course, there's exceptions, but high by, by a mile, 
the largest demographic of religious belief is Christians. And what makes it makes it complicated is by they're not answering anything doctrinally. They're not answering anything about their beliefs. They're not answering anything about who is Jesus. There's just not a category for cultural Christian. So I define cultural Christian by a generic theist more than I even do Bible Belt guy. So that's why I think that what we're talking about here can really stretch way beyond the South, even though it looks different in the South. There's basically different categories of cultural Christianity. And in the book, I kind of lay out and cover every corner uh, of the Christian, uh, of that cultural Christian idea. Uh, so for someone in, in your town in New Mexico, I, I think they just really have to make sure. I, I think we're really at this point. It almost sounds cliche, but I really think it's that important is we have to make sure we're really clear on what is the gospel and what is not. Like that's just become more and more critical because there really is so much confusion about what makes someone a Christian. Uh, so, so in ministering to people in your community that might already claim the name of Christ, or I, I, let's not say the name of Christ, that claim the identity of Christian, because you can be a Christian without Christ in our culture today. We don't believe that's actually real, but functionally that you, you can be in, in our culture. Of course, that is getting more hostile, but so for the most part, most people claim to be Christians I think that they have to just really have years of that belief just taken apart. And you have to be willing to walk through it for the long haul. Because when someone actually hears the true gospel, if you invite them to your church, and again, they're not hostile towards church. They don't think church is a bad thing. They're just kind of indifferent towards it. They just think it's pointless. It's not worth their time. Uh, they believe you can be a Christian without church because somewhere down the line we bought that idea. I don't know when that first started. I don't know how long it's been going on, but people today love to talk about how you can be a Christian without going to church. And it's like, where do you get that from? But that's a thing. Uh, so that's a lot of cultural Christianity to thrive, actually. Uh, so I think that I would have true conversations about what is the gospel and what is not. Look for ways that they can see that you're different than them and not by your morality or your goodness or your righteousness. Hopefully they'll see that in you. But again, they think they're good people too. So that's not really the issue. You need to show them the difference between what you call Christianity and what they call Christianity really actually is the work of Christ. I just think that's so critical. And we need to take advantage of the fact that people aren't hostile towards going to church who are cultural Christians. They're indifferent. That's not the same thing. Uh, so maybe after a lot of just, just kind of hoping and inviting and finding different events to bring them to, they're going to actually come with you and then hear the gospel again, not just from you, but from the pulpit. And they're going to go, whoa, I've never heard anything like that before. That's my story. I walk into an FCA retreat and I go, I have never heard what that guy just said. I've been in church my entire life. I've been told to be a good person. I went through confirmation class. Uh, you know, I knew the hymns. We sang the doxology every week after the offering. I, I knew all those things. I had a couple of Ten Commandments memorized. I could have probably told you, you know, eight or nine of the 12 disciples, but I had never heard before what that guy was saying when all he was doing was preaching the gospel that day. So I just think we have to look for opportunities. And I'm not just talking about just the old, hey, have a gospel conversation. Yes and amen. But I mean different than that. We got to go further than that with cultural Christians. We need to help them see there actually really is a difference between what you believe and what the Bible says. And I think taking someone to church with you is a really big component of that. Um. So a lot of pastors we know will make fun of the the CEO Christians, right? Our, our Christmas and Easter only, those folks that we see those two Sundays um, out of the year and, and will probably never darken the door otherwise. So, so really, uh, I have a two-part question. 
What do you think brings cultural Christians to church on Christmas and Easter? And then how might we lead them to be more regularly involved throughout the year rather than just those two kind of high points throughout the year? Yeah, well, one, I think it's really sad to make fun of your mission field. You know, and yeah. I mean, I have a whole chapter on Christmas and Easter Christians in in uh, in the book, and I think it's really important. Uh, and I think that you have to to see that the reason why most churches get big crowds at Easter is not because they're outreach gurus. It's because everyone who claims to go to that church actually shows up on that Sunday. <laughs> That's right. that, that, that really is what happens for most of us. It's like, wow, this many people at Easter, we did such a great job. It's like, well, no, everybody just came. <laughs> you know, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so you, you have to realize that that is just one of uh, basically the cultural observances of a cultural Christian. In, in the same way that uh, a, a, someone who goes to Nana's every year for Thanksgiving dinner. This is just part of it, uh, where you do this. You go to church on Christmas and Easter. It has no need for spiritual significance whatsoever. It's just one of the things you do on Christmas Eve. We get dressed up. We have dinner. We go to church. We come back and open our flannel pajamas for the year. You know, and then we have you know, Grandpa reads the Christmas story. It's just one of those things. I, mean, I know people who are cultural Christians that could not articulate the gospel on their best day, and they have a manger scene on their mantle during Advent season. <laughs> It, it really, you see, you almost in there, it's you have to get in their shoes and take the spiritual out of it altogether. It, it would be like maybe us going to see a fireworks show on the 4th of July. It's just kind of what we do, right? We're not, we're not worshiping America. Um, most Americans aren't even great historians of America, so we can't even tell you that much about it, about why we even celebrate that day. Uh, most, a lot of people can't, sadly. Uh, but that's almost how you have to think of it, almost like wearing green on St. Patrick's Day. Is how, and if you don't wear green, you're going to get pinched, right, is what my kids like to say and do. Uh, so you always have to see it that way, that there, it really is that bizarre. And I think what makes it – so what I try to do is I don't mention it for a moment about them being here and that type of thing. I'll even bring that up. Hey, we haven't seen you since Christmas. I, I, that does not come out of my mouth. We have a ton of people show up for our Easter service every year. I mean a lot of people. We, use, we, 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 have, we have our service at Florida State's basketball arena. So it's a very wow. big and – we, and we basically fill it. Uh, so we're talking thousands, not hundreds, like very big Easter service, just to give you perspective. And one thing I try to do every year is to help them see on their own how bizarre it is that they are coming to a and, and even celebrate. They got dressed up. They're going to Nana's. They did baskets in the morning with candy in it. So like all the things they're doing, how bizarre it is that it's all around a day devoted to a guy who was dead and came back to life three days later. And then at Christmas time, how bizarre it is you drove from, you know, St. Louis, Missouri, all the way to Tallahassee, Florida to spend the three days with your grandmother for this thing we call Christmas, which is telling us it's the celebration of the fact that the long awaited and promised Messiah who is going to save the world from their sins has actually come. So the long awaited Messiah has come, the incarnation. And then he died for our sins and rose from the grave, and we're going to give him two days a year and a fist pump and pastel clothes and a picture in the front yard. And, and so I don't say it that harshly because I don't want to repel them. They've actually come, thank God. But I try to help them see that, but not just them personally, everybody see that. Like why this really matters and is significant. And then I'll say, hey, I know you, if you enjoyed the service today, guess what? We do this every week. 
it's the same band. It's the same preacher. It's just the practical side of it. But the big picture kind of, I try to help them on their own see how bizarre it is that they're here today and not caring. Because here's what happens. Every church will have the most killer Sunday of the year on Easter. Almost every church. Even the church that has struggled bus USA and is having the hardest time, they will have a bump on Easter Sunday. It might be five people, and they might go from 20 to 25. They will have a bump. When we first started doing our Easter services, man, we had that many people. Man, we need to put out more chairs next Sunday. We need to be ready, all hands on deck. We had less people the Sunday after Easter than we did the Sunday before Easter. <laughs> We're going, what is going on here? And we beat ourselves up and we go, oh, wait a second. People who aren't believers aren't going to all of a sudden make church a priority in their lives. And if they're going to come back, they'll come to our church. It might be three months from now. It might not be till Christmas. So you have to see these people as lost. Not as just Christians need to get more serious about church. Not as Christians need to get their act together. And that's where we make a mistake with cultural Christians is when we think it's a discipleship issue. And the book, I make the case first, it's an evangelism issue before it's anything else. So where can we find the book? Amazon. It's been at Barnes & Noble. It's on Lifeway's site, Moody's site. It's all over the place. Nice. So pretty much everywhere. Everywhere that books are sold. I think Is it at Walmart yet? I, it's a good question. I, I, I don't think I've ever been there before. I heard it's nice. It's like, Dean, <laughs> Dean, wash your face. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <so> we're, we're, <laughs> easy tiger. Easy we'll, tiger. We'll be back with Dean next week to continue this talk, but we want to get really uh, serious for a second. I, I know, Dean, that you are a baseball fan, really a sports fan in general, in general, uh, a huge Miami Hurricanes fan, as I recall, yes. correct? Okay. Yes, very big. I'm a little more of a Dallas Baptist University uh, Patriots fan, at least when it comes to to baseball. That's, you know, we're phenomenal. We're unbeaten in football as well, but that's because we've never played a game. Uh, But but I I want you to walk through a major moment in Kane's baseball history for me, how you were feeling uh, as we close this out. Walk us through what happened in the championship game of the 1996 College World Series. Oh, gosh, that was one of the worst days of my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's like asking a Rangers fan about 2011 World, uh, World Series game not, six, man. Not guilty. This I was put up to by uh, Jonathan Howe. So, but, uh, well, well, quick Dallas Baptist University shout out. Every year we have a thing we call the SBC Toss, which is a baseball throw, and uh, we just get together and throw just to get out of some of the moments where you just need to get out of the exhibit hall for a little while. You know what that's like. He's like, I just got to get out of here. These people are crazy. And um, so we go. So Dallas Baptist opened their field up to us last year and let us throw on their field, which is pretty cool. Nice. 1996, I actually fell down on the floor and like face planted on the ground um, because we were all celebrating, thinking we won the national championship, which would have been Miami's third. Uh, Since then, they won two more. Uh, But Miami uh, was up, had their All American closer on the mound, Robbie Morrison, who has not had not won a save ever in his career. Uh, Warren Morris for LSU, who had been hurt all season, comes up and hits a pinch hit home run, walk off to win the game, and it was absolutely a horrendous moment of my life. Uh-huh. So we'll send you my counseling bill that's going to come I, back. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, apologies for bringing that back up. I, I think Kyle's been there with uh, the I, Rangers. Yeah. I, I still remember I was we we were in in the middle of selling our our house back in Arkansas. So I was at my mom and dad's uh, house while we were selling and, and getting ready to get an apartment. And uh, Fox Four News was one of our local stations. Sent out like one of those breaking news alerts, push push notification or whatever. 
that the uh, Rangers had had won the World Series or whatever, uh-huh. and uh, it it didn't exactly happen. And, say, uh, what was that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and yeah. Alex Cora, who is the Boston Red Sox manager, who won the World Series last year, was the shortstop on that Miami team. Interesting. Wow. Random cool. fact. Yeah, yeah. very cool. That's awesome. Well, for now, it is about time to hop off the train until next week when we'll join Dean again for part two. We're grateful that you took the time to listen in today. And if you haven't, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever podcasts are found. You can also visit us online at notanotherbaptistpodcast.com, on Twitter at NAB underscore podcast, or on Facebook at Not Another Baptist Podcast. Send us out, Kyle. Until next time, may your coffee be as black as night and as bold as the gospel you declare. <laughs>